It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This weekend, something big is happening in Beijing. Drum roll. This is a big moment. Yeah, it is. I mean, it's the worst kept secret, obviously. At the top of the agenda is going to be the anointment <laughs> of Xi Jinping for a third consecutive term. This will make him the only Chinese president who served more than two terms, apart from Mao Zedong. And the world will be keeping a close eye on the Communist Party Congress that begins on Sunday. It is the first Congress since some major geopolitical developments, including the start of US-China trade war the COVID-19 pandemic, war in Ukraine, and the latest tension across the Taiwan Strait. You couldn't have possibly missed the big story from Taiwan. U.S. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi visited the island. China responded with military drills. It fired ballistic missiles towards Taiwan and repeatedly rehearsed the assault of Taiwan. The reunification of Taiwan with China has always been one of President Xi's long-term ambitions. The question is, how far will China go to achieve it? He has made it very clear that he is going to pursue the so-called great Chinese rejuvenation as the most important goal for his leadership. It will also become his legacy. You're listening to Stories of Our Times from The Times and The Sunday Times. I'm Jenny Kleeman. Today, Xi Jinping's third term and Taiwan. This is Didi Tang, the Beijing-based correspondent for the Times of London. I have been working for the Times since 2017 and have been here in China as a correspondent for now actually more than 10 years. So this is going to be my third party congress to cover, the 20th party congress. And I'm going to see the same leader, right? Xi Jinping (laughs) will be the man. You've been there before. Describe the scene for us. What does it look like? Who's there? Where does it take place? It takes place once every five years, always in Beijing, you know, the capital city. Mm. So it will take place in the Great Hall of People. That's the seat of the Chinese parliament. And the National Party Congress is going to take place over there. The Grand Hall has a ceiling with a huge red star in the dome. And you have rows and rows in the seats where the delegates will be sitting. On the podium, and President Xi, or the General Secretary Xi, he's going to be seated in the very middle on the podium. And then he'll be flanked by, you know, the other politicians, the senior politicians in the order of hierarchy. So those people, the delegates and then the leaders, they will be sitting on the first floor of the Grand Hall. And then you have the second floor 
and then the third floor, sort of the balcony, looking into the main hall. That's where journalists, photographers, will usually will be stationed on the second and the third balcony, so we can observe. This year, I think things will, will be a little bit different because China is still very much in the middle of this mm-hmm. pandemic at this point because of the zero COVID policy. So we don't know the arrangements. Some people will be allowed into the hall to observe, to be physically in the same room with President Xi and the other delegates. So we're talking about almost like 23,000 delegates who will be fitting into that huge room. What actually happens there? The party congress occurs, you know, the big one, the major one, the national one, occurs once every five years. It's when the party, the members, they gather, they have the delegates, they gather in Beijing to select central committee. And then the central committee leader is going to select the standing members of the central committee and then also the general secretary for the party, basically who is going to lead the party for the next five years. And it's also an opportunity to give a sense of the plans that the party has for the next five years, isn't it? Yes. The party basically has the job to put together government and they need to like decide, hey, what will be the priorities? You know, diplomacy, the economy. And of course, at this point, COVID, the mm. pandemic is like high on the agenda. Like, what should we do, you know, for the next five years? Which direction China should be heading? So it's about setting the agenda and choosing which people are going to be leading it. I think at this point, like it's pretty given like she is going to have his third term as the general secretary of the Communist Party. But then the standing committee usually has seven members. Mm. So people also want to know who will be the other six people on the standing committee, because that kind of a seven person group is the most powerful. They're going to lead China, headed by Xi Jinping, coming into his like, third term. Put this meeting in context for us. What is the atmosphere like in Beijing at the moment? So people will know something important is happening when we start to see, we call them like armed police or military police. They will be stationed at the metro stations. You will see them standing back to back at the metro stations. And then outside my residential compound, we start to see those, we call them the volunteers. And then they have this kind of red band to show their volunteers. Usually we're talking about the retirees, like elder woman, elder man. So they will be there, kind of keep eye on what's going on, you know, make sure nothing's going to go wrong. And you start to see the red flags, the banners coming up in the streets of Beijing welcoming the party congress. And then there will be rules, like for example, like in Beijing, drones are strictly forbidden now until the party congress ends. So they want to make sure it's going to take place without any disruption. There will be no surprise, there will be no glitch. So at the end of the day, the party can say, we have very successful congress, so it's all about good things. Nothing bad is going to happen. So we're talking about dissidents, activists, right? They have been asked to stay home. Mm. (laughs) And the troublemakers, maybe they have been invited to go outside Beijing, so they're not going to be here to cause any trouble to bring any kind of discord Mm. to the party because it has to be perfect. So preparations are in place for this big event on Sunday when President Xi starts his third term. Explain how extraordinary this is, because we know up until 2018, China had a two-term limit on the presidency. He's already served his two terms, but he's not retiring. 
So at this point, we need to kind of clarify two concepts. You know, President Xi, for the party congress, he is the leader of the party. And as the president, he's the head of the government. But of course, you know, the party has the job to put together government. So by the tradition, right, whoever is the head of the ruling party will assume the job, the title as the president of the government of the country, the head of the state. He will be named the president in March when China has the National People's Congress. And when he scrapped the term limit, the two-term limit for the president, we knew for sure he wanted his third term. But given that there's no heir in sight, and that there's a very strong likelihood if his health should permit, if he still wants to do it, and that there's nothing to stop him constitution-wise, law-wise, there's nothing to stop him from seeking the fourth term, the fifth term. And it's possible that can happen. Let's focus now on this third term that she is going into. What will be on his agenda? The immediate thing, the priority is the economy and the COVID. It's very, very hard at this point to balance between the the pandemic controls and then the economy. Retail sales and factory output in China slumped to two-year lows in April, while unemployment climbed to two-year highs. The new figures show the growing economic damage wrought by the country's ongoing COVID-19 lockdowns. The country's overall policy of zero COVID remains in place and people testing positive still face quarantine or hospital. So the party has come up with this sort of overall approach. It's still worthwhile for us to stick to this zero infection policy because if China should open up and then let everybody just like move freely, right, and remove most of the controls, we are going to see a spike in the number of deaths. And I'm not sure if the public is ready for that. But at the same time, the economy is suffering. I'm sure that debates are going on within the party. If China should open up, and to what extent China should open up, and the economy is suffering at this point. People are losing jobs because of all the lockdowns and people are suffering. But the long-term goal is the revival, the national rejuvenation for the great Chinese nation And he's talking about, you know, by 2035, by 2050, right? China needs to be rejuvenated. China is going to be one of the great nations on Earth. Mm. So that means, like, the economy has to grow. If China wants the space program, the chip industry, whatever it is, it has to reach certain level military-wise. Chinese military has to be modernized to the point China wants to say, look, you know, it will be able to defend our national interests anywhere in the world. So she has an eye on his legacy. A large part of that is restoring China to its true glory, as he sees it. Right. How does Mm -hmm. Taiwan come into that? I would say it's deep in the Chinese. The psyche is like to achieve this Chinese dream of national rejuvenation, right? And one big part of it is Taiwan is going to be unified with the mainland. And that goes back to history. We're going back to 1949, right? At the time, ROC, the Republic of China, was the ruling government. And then the Communist Party toppled the ROC government. And then the nationalists, they fled China because, you know, they were losing the Civil War. They retreated to Taiwan. And so shortly after the Communist Party founded the People's Republic of China, there was a plan to seize Taiwan because that was the last province or the last region for the party to say, look, we have conquered whole China, right? But because of the Korean War, China had to divert its like, forces, you know, to the Korean Peninsula. And then the Cold War and the Taiwan, that issue, 
has never been resolved. And so for President Xi, if he wants to be someone who's on par with Chairman Mao, the founding father of the People's Republic of China, what he can claim is, look, Chairman Mao, he founded the People's Republic of China, but he never unified the country, right? And for Xi, if he can unify the country, that is going to be a huge legacy going down in history. So that's a huge, huge deal to President Xi. Didi, tell us about Taiwan now. Where is it? Who lives there? What's it like? So Taiwan is an island. It's a huge island to the southeast of mainland China, opposite the Chinese province of Fujian, which is separated by the Taiwan Strait, very, very close. It has a very rich history. The Portuguese came and then the imperial Chinese court was able to take back Taiwan. So in 1949, right, the nationalist government was losing. And then they were talking about where can we go to retreat. Taiwan actually was chosen as the place because Taiwan separate from the mainland by the strait as a natural barrier. So Taiwan, currently the, the population, 23 million people, roughly there are two types of people. One is the natives, the local residents who have been living in Taiwan for a long time. They're the local inhabitants. And then the other type of people, they call them Shenren, the outsiders or those people coming from the mainland who came to Taiwan in 1949 with the nationalist government. After seven decades, and you're talking about a new identity. What we see here, there's a new identity of Taiwanese people. Even the descendants of the outsiders whose ancestors came from China, whose like grandparents came to Taiwan from mainland mm. in 1949 with the nationalists. And they have settled. They started to identify themselves as Taiwanese rather than Chinese. You've explained how Taiwan is strategically important because of its location. But tell us about Taiwan's relationship with the rest of the world. Does the rest of the world recognize Taiwan as an independent nation? So after 1949, initially, most countries actually kept their diplomatic relationship with Taiwan because they did not recognize People's Republic of China. Also, in the United Nations, Taiwan actually had a seat as Republic of China, and the People's Republic of China was excluded from the UN. But in the 70s, the U.S. decided to mend its relationship with Beijing. On July 15, 1971, President Nixon requested time on national TV. The announcement I shall now read is being issued simultaneously in Peking and in the United States. Knowing of President Nixon's expressed desire, to visit the People's Republic of China. And the leader Nixon was visiting China. And China and the U.S. established a formal relationship in 1979. The U.S. finally recognized Beijing as the legitimate representative of China. And in the U.N., Beijing became the representative of China. And Taiwan was kicked out. So ever since then, China says, okay, if you want to have diplomatic relations with me, you have to accept the one China principle. A country has to say, there's only one China. And Beijing is the representative of this one China. So basically it means Taiwan should be part of China. And then Beijing is the legitimate government for that China. If you want to have a diplomatic relationship with Beijing, you cannot have a relationship with Taiwan. So from the 1970s, you start to see many countries, they're switching from Taipei to Beijing because China was rising and then they want to do business with China. They want to have a relationship with China. And so only 13 countries left that still had relationship with Taiwan officially. 
not the U.S., not the U.K. Most Western countries all have relationship with China, not with Taiwan. But they will have office in Taiwan. They will keep this like unofficial relationship with Taiwan. Coming up, we ask the big question, would China actually invade Taiwan? But first, a message from a colleague. Hello. Hello. For those of you who haven't got a clue who we are, my name's Jane Garvey. And I'm Fee Glover. If you're looking for a fresh take on all the latest news, take with a pinch of salt, this is the show for you. Off Air with Jane and Fee. So if you need a new show for your dreary old drive to work, your everyday dog walk, or just as white noise to drown out your offspring, then try us, Off Air with Jane and Fee. Monday to Thursday on the free Times Radio app and wherever else you get your podcasts. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM. us about the Taiwanese president, Tsai Ing-wen. What's she like? I think she actually she's a very smart and shrewd. She was elected as the president for Taiwan in 2016. So mm. she's coming from this democratic progressive party, which traditionally, conventionally, that party is for independence. I mean, when she was elected, the question is like, was she going to declare independence? Because that was sort of the mission of her party. So she had this very kind of delicate situation she had to manage. And any kind of wrong step could lead to, to war. Basically, China was ready. I mean, China has a very powerful military. And China says, we want to try our best to peacefully unify with Taiwan, but we're not going to exclude the use of force as an option. It's always on the table as a last resort. And she is very, very careful. She will never do anything to cross that line. She will do her best not to openly confront Beijing. And in 2016, ever since she was elected, we started to see the relationship between Beijing and Taipei going downhill very quickly. Mm. Taiwan celebrated its national day and the Taiwanese leader, she gave quite a significant speech. Tell us about that. 
She wanted to talk about what she was going to offer to the people of Taiwan, the 23 million people on the island. And then she talked about the economy, what she was going to do to improve the healthcare and then just the general economy, the job market. But I think she also used this like this chance to reach out to Beijing to say, look, we're here. We're ready to talk to you. Let's find a solution. But of course, you know, the condition for any kind of talk is we have to be treated as equals. We're not part of your territory. We're not a subordinate. You cannot talk to us as if you own us. We want to find a peaceful solution to manage our differences in a peaceful way. And then China has come out to say, look, you have to accept the one China principle as defined by China, by Beijing. China sees self-ruled Taiwan as a breakaway province that will eventually, ultimately be under Beijing's control. But Taiwan sees itself differently, distinct from the Chinese mainland with its own constitution and democratically elected leaders. Mm -hmm. What is the future in all of this? First of all, what is Xi Jinping's vision for Taiwan? Before President Xi, Beijing wanted to play down to say, we want to solve the Taiwan issue, but we were not going to put a timeline. If our generation cannot solve it, we can leave it to the next generation. We knew Beijing wanted to unify with Taiwan at some point, but that some point felt very distant. We knew it was going to happen, but not now. So we can always postpone, postpone, postpone. She came and then he gave this kind of talk and then he said something about what does it mean to have this national rejuvenation, right? And he says, the motherland unification has to be part of it. Unification is the hope of all Chinese people. If China can be unified, all Chinese will enjoy a happy life. If China can't unify, everyone will suffer. He also has set the deadline for the national rejuvenation around the mid-century, like 2050. And that kind of has given observers, analysts and journalists like, hey, look, now we have a timeline here, right? 2050. Mm. And it's like fast approaching. And then we have other people, the military experts and the generals from the US, from the Taiwan, and then we have the Ukraine. And then the speculation started to rise, it may happen much sooner than 2050, maybe before 2035, maybe in the next five years, who knows? But at the same time, if you're looking at Taiwan, you have to look at the China-US relationship and where that relationship is going. And that's going to very much have a huge bearing on the Taiwan issue. The world's attention was drawn to Taiwan in August when a prominent American politician landed there. So tell us about that visit. So Nancy Pelosi in August decided she was going to visit Taiwan. The Speaker of the U.S. House of Representatives, Nancy Pelosi, is in Taiwan and China is already responding. The U.S. had this security pact with Taiwan to supply the island with sufficient hardware and technology to to deter any mainland invasion. The U.S. has always said Taiwan and China, if they want to unify, it should be unified peacefully. Actually, Washington is not opposed to that. But if China should invade, if China should use force on Taiwan, this is a time when the U.S. has to step 
in to say, look, yeah, we're going to give you weapons, basically. We're going to give technology to make sure you can defend against invasion from the mainland. And starting in 2020, China started to send in the warplanes and the warships regularly near Taiwan to say, look, we're very powerful. Why don't you just surrender? It's a show of force. I don't think China was going to do something, but it wanted to show the muscles. And then the U.S. government sort of like, look, we have to do something, right? Because Taiwan is our ally. We want to show our support. We're obligated by the security pact to protect Taiwan. So anyway, as China and the U.S. relationship is deteriorating over Taiwan, and Nancy Pelosi decided to come to visit Taiwan in August in a show of support, she was not the first U.S. politician to do so, but she was the highest ranking U.S. politician to come to Taiwan. So mm-hmm. China was very upset to say, no, 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 you cannot come here. If you come here, we're going to do something. So she came and she she left, I think it was on August the 3rd. And then the next day, China staged this like, massive military exercise around the island. Taiwan's defense ministry says China has fired multiple ballistic missiles during a set of military exercises in the air and the sea encircling Taiwan. Beijing launched the drills in response to a visit by Nancy Pelosi. How seriously should we take this show of strength? Part of it is gesturing, right? The Chinese government also has to answer to its own people here. There is overwhelming support among Mm. the members of public for Beijing to take Taiwan. And if you're talking about being militant, the general public, actually, the Chinese people, they can become quite militant. The general sentiments here within the country are like, we can do it, right? We have the power to do it. Yes, but that gesturing could lead to somewhere that nobody wants to go. It did not go very well internationally. China did not look good. In response, the US actually said, we're going to sell warships through the Taiwan Street at some point. That also gave reason to the U.S. to step up surveillance. They can send spying planes because they needed to monitor the movements by the Chinese military. It's also very important for the U.S. to show we're committed to our allies. We do what we say we can do. And of course, when the U.S. they sell its warships through the Taiwan Street, the Chinese military, they, they will have to, to respond, to monitor, to track. And then they get close to each other. And I really hope the leaders on both sides, they have the wisdom to say, let's find a way to communicate so things are not going to get out of control. So there's a kind of standoff taking place at the moment. But how prepared is China for an invasion? Does it have the necessary military capabilities? If we are talking about only China and then Taiwan, if we are just looking at The numbers on paper, China should be able to overwhelm Taiwan militarily very easily. But then we have to factor in the U.S. The U.S. has never said if it's going to send troops to defend Taiwan directly. They will say, we're going to supply you with weapons, with technology, we're going to help you to upgrade. But the U.S. has never said we're going to send troops to defend you. And so this year, President Biden actually has come out when he was asked, like, is U.S. going to send troops? And Biden will say, yes, we're going to do it. (laughs) That's yes. Are you willing to get involved militarily to defend Taiwan if it comes to that? Yes. You are? That's a commitment we made. 
the State Department has come out to say our China policy remains unchanged. And I think there are lots of debate, like if the U.S. now has this strategic ambiguity or is actually shifting to strategic clarity, we don't know. Mm. The bottom line is China has to factor in the U.S. when it prepares any kind of military action against Taiwan. I think China is getting ready, is trying to cut off the U.S. from coming to the rescue for Taiwan. You know, they were doing exercise in the strait near along the coast before, but now they started to send their ships to the other side of Taiwan, to the east of Taiwan. So the purpose for that is to say, look, we have the capability to stop the U.S. from coming to, to help. So this is about a lot more than Taiwan now. This has turned into a battle in which Taiwan is a pawn between the U.S. and China. Beijing likes to tell the Taiwanese people, like, look, you're only a chess piece on this greater game. But I would like to think otherwise. From the very beginning, the Taiwan issue, that was the Second World War. The nationalist government actually had the support of the U.S. government. The nationalist government, they were fighting against the Japanese. So it kind of goes back in time. And then the U.S. has always wanted to keep Taiwan as an ally, it does extends the U.S. interest to have an ally that close to China. Mm. If Taiwan is friendly to the U.S., it's a good thing for Washington. And then for Beijing, probably it's not such a great thing to have Taiwan so close to its coast and then to have Taiwan who is close to Washington. How significant then is all of this as she goes into his third term? The Taiwan issue cannot be solved alone. So again, going back to the US-China rivalry, it's about this kind of the great competition between China and the US. And for China to compete with the US, China has to develop its economy. China has to become a truly great nation. China probably has to do much better to be able to say, look, we are truly a great nation. And at that time, maybe we may find a better solution to the Taiwan issue. And I'm hoping things are going to progress in a better way, rather than going to confrontation. We all know what's going on in Ukraine, all the, the tragedies there, all the deaths, and it's just heartbreaking to see. And I definitely don't want to see that happening in Taiwan. listening to Stories of Our Times, a podcast brought to you thanks to subscribers of The Times and The Sunday Times with me, Jenny Kleeman, and my guest, The Times' Beijing correspondent, Didi Tang. You can find all of Didi's work at thetimes.co.uk. The producer was Priyanka Deladia. The executive producer is Kate Ford, and sound design was by David Crackles. If you have a story you think we should be covering, an idea for a future episode, or thoughts on what you've just heard, send us an email to Stories of our times at thetimes.co.uk. Have a good weekend. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. 
Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.